freshman, you can't perform. Like, you have to wait a couple years in to actually get to perform. And so in my mind, I was like, well, that seems just silly. So Millican really lets their students get really involved and, and, and immerse themselves in the theater world, which is what I was looking for, and it was great. Once I was a little bit older and I was able to play, like, a woman instead of the girl in, in a story, I feel like that was a little bit more suited for me, just in general, just as a person. When I was, like, going out for the young chippy girls, like, it just, I, you know, I was much better when I was able to handle myself more like a Renee Walker than, you know, a young... <laughs> I mean, I don't think she was hiding behind anything before she met Jack. I mean, I think everything that she believed when she met Jack Bauer was truly what she believed. And I think she believed that that's how things are done. And you go by the book, and this is how we get results, and these are the way things are done. So I can't believe I'm about to say this, but... Thank you for listening to the 100th episode of the Comics First podcast. As always, I'm your host, Comics First CEO, Justin Alba. Today we're talking about our favorite new Marvel television show. It's on Hulu. It's called Runaways. You might have heard about two podcasts ago, we spoke with Angel Parker, who plays Catherine Wilder on the show. Today we are talking to Annie Wershing, who plays the mysterious cult leader, Leslie Dean, on the show. Thank you, Annie, so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, and, and congrats on 100. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, I know, and I'm super excited to you, too, because I've actually been a fan of yours since 24, and I have to say, when I was reading your IMDb, though, I had a moment of, like, questioning my life, because I was like, what have I accomplished? Because your IMDb makes me feel like I've accomplished nothing with my life. I mean, when do you sleep? When do you sleep? <laughs> when do I sleep? Oh, I love to sleep. Don't be, I, I find my sleep. Don't you worry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, my gosh, she must never be home. It's nice to stay busy for sure. I feel like I've had a pretty nice balance of like working a lot and also, you know, maintaining a little sanity and time with my family and stuff. So, <laughs> wow, I bet. Is it, and you've been acting since you were a kid. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, I started doing theater in like, let's see, maybe fourth grade, oh, third, wow. fourth grade in grade school. And then I, I did it all through high school. And when I went to college for musical theater, I was going to go to New York. I was going to, I was going to be a stage, a stage lady, but, um, you know, I was on a tour with a musical that actually closed out in Los Angeles. And I was like, Oh, this is kind of cool. Let me, let me check this out for a while. And I never, never made it to New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it is warmer, so it's a good place to, to stop on the way to New York, you know? True. <laughs> um, no, I, I love LA. <laughs> <laughs> there's a blizzard going on right now. So I, I'm uh, slightly jealous. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, do you remember what your first play was? Well, my very first, it was actually fourth grade. It was Cats. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> Which I know it sounds very ambitious <laughs> for a fourth grade music teacher. So basically, she just shoved a bunch of kids up on stage and was like, oh, I don't like Cats. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we actually did. We learned all the music and like we had to pass a mic. You know, you're calling around like a cat, passing a microphone around. And I wish I had a recording of it because I'm sure it was just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> no, it must have been really fun. Do you have a favorite musical for yourself? Oh, favorite musical. Oh, God, so many. I'm a big Miss Saigon lover. I absolutely love that show. Uh, I mean, I love a lot of current stuff right now. We just were actually in New York over the summer and got to see Dear Evan Hansen, and that was amazing. And oh, my wow. four-year-old right now is singing. He knows like four songs from Dear Evan Hansen, <laughs> which is just ridiculous. He's he's going to be a little, he's a little tiny Ben Platt. Um, no, Aww. I love them all. All of them. All the musicals. <laughs> and you studied musical theater. Is it at, is it Millican University? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, at Millican. Yep. So what was your training like there? 
Oh gosh. Well, I mean, Milliken is a liberal arts school, so we did have to, we had to have all of our gen ed classes as well, but I, I absolutely loved my time at Milliken. You know, we had dance classes and ear training and music theory and, and then, you know, you audition for the shows and there's a, there was a little black box theater where you got to do student directed and student put on shows. There was the big main stage shows. There were smaller shows. It was a, it was a school that really let you get involved in a lot of ways, which a lot of, when you, when I was initially looking for a musical theater degree, first of all, those are hard to find. And a lot of them as a freshman, you can't perform. Like you have to wait a couple of years in to actually get to perform. And so in my mind, I was like, well, that seems just silly. Um, <laughs> So Millican really lets their students get really involved and, and, and immerse themselves in the theater world, which is what I was looking for. And it was great. That's so cool. So when you're acting now, is there anything that you learned when you were at Milliken that you still kind of use as part of your process or technique? Well, I mean, Milliken, obviously, I mean, this is, this is, I think, a pretty base <laughs> idea, but just having intent, you know, we, mm. we were big on having an intention in every line. So I feel like if, if I'm struggling, I really just go back to what is the action here? What is, what is the action word? What am I doing in this moment? You know, but I feel like just overall my work ethic that I learned there, I mean, combined with obviously just my, my upbringing and my, the other work I didn't, you know, I worked in my mom's flower shop for, you know, I feel like I, I Milliken along with a lot of other things just taught me to be a, a good worker in general, whether it's, you know, on a set or helping somebody move or, you know, and I feel like I, I always give my, give my best and, you know, try to actually just work really hard, which is such a simple concept, but it's, I don't feel like it's something that everybody does anymore. <laughs> you know, I hate to say it, but I really, really don't think so. Uh, it seems like that's kind of, that's kind of passe working hard. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> and it's hard. It's even, even having little ones, you know, I have a, just turned four-year-old and just turned seven-year-old. And I even struggle with like, okay, how exactly do I teach them that hard work is important? Like what, I'm always like, what, what can I do to really just like ingrain this in them? Cause it's a weird, tricky little concept for some reason. <laughs> I wonder if it's by example though. Like they'll, they'll see you working your butt off, you know, and they'll be like, Hey, I want to be like my mom, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. So was there a transition for you when you were going uh, from acting in theater to going from going from that to film and television? Oh, for sure. I mean, even when I got out to L.A., I was still doing theater. I did a couple of shows at the Pasadena Playhouse. Like that's, that's actually how I got my first agent. And I definitely had to learn how to rein it in a little bit, you know, just make things smaller, but yet still have as much intention. And in general, I feel like once out in Los Angeles, once I was a little bit older and I was able to play like a woman instead of the girl in, in a story. I feel like that was a little bit more suited for me just in general, just as a person when I was like going out for the young, you know, the young chippy girls, like it just, I, you know, I was much better when I was able to handle myself more like a Renee Walker than, you know, a young chick. <laughs> but no, it definitely took me a little bit to transition for sure. Now I feel like I would, it would be hard for me to transition back, although I really want to. I'd love to do some theater again at some point, but I'd, I'd feel like now I'd be so small. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would be a show that you would want to do? I would love to do a new show. I've always thought that'd be really wonderful to like originate a role in a musical. Ooh. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be so great. Oh God, there's so many. I'd, I mean, I'd love to play some roles in chess. 
that I think would be good for me. I would love to play Ellen in Miss Saigon. I've actually always wanted to play Kim in Miss Saigon, but I don't think that's my future. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's like a 17 year old Vietnamese girl. I think that might think my ship has sailed on that one. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, I don't know. So many, but it'd be really fun to originate something for sure. Oh, I have to say that's one of my favorite all time musicals too. Miss Saigon. Really? Oh, Oh, good. I saw it in London with the new cast like a couple seasons ago. Oh, my God. Amazing. The new girl that's playing the Kim role is unbelievably amazing. And the production was so good. So, so good. Wow. Yeah. I, I remember I saw it on Broadway and they were doing the whole helicopter back then. Yes. Yes. And it was like a huge helicopter. It was pretty cool. But yeah, no, I think I've, that's a, such a great show. I love that you said that. And I, and I also love that you you know mentioned Renee Walker because I'm a huge fan. And I went back today. And I watched your season seven and season eight performances. They were so good. I, I couldn't. I was like, "Where's the Emmy? Where's the Emmy?" Oh yeah. Oh, thank you. No, she was. That was a. It was a wonderfully written role. I mean, I she had. I had such a great arc in that first season from where she started to where she ended up after you know a little exposure to Jack Bauer. Um, and then getting to go to the dark side completely and be all kinds of stuff effed up in season eight was such, you know, so different from season seven. And, you know, having, I was lucky I lived longer than one season, you know, and get to get to have, to get to have all different kinds of colors to play with her was so awesome. And then on top of that, just, you know, being so kick-ass in terms of the fighting and the gun work and just her, the way she carried herself was just the best. Uh, yeah, I love her. My friends and I um, literally, uh, wh- when I said that, I was like, oh, man, you need to watch Runaways. Renee is on it. And I didn't even need to say Renee from 24. She just said, okay, cool. Like, she knew exactly, like, who I meant because that uh, Renee is sort of, like, iconic in our lives. But one thing that I couldn't get over, so the scenes with you and that Russian guy, um, where, you know, where you were undercover, I, I didn't, what I didn't realize noticing it when I first watched it is they were all, it was, like, close-ups on you for three episodes. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah, what I, 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 I think was so amazing, if you were even slightly out of the moment, it would have everyone would have noticed, but you were so in it. And it was, I mean, man, I just keep thinking, like, was the, well, how, what were those days like on set? And then, like, what did you have to go through to prepare? Or are you kind of one of those people who can just, like, take it off like a shirt at the end of the day? Yeah, I'm pretty good at that. Even on set, like, I don't, I mean, to be fair, when I, the scenes where I was eventually where I stabbed that Russian in the eye. <laughs> Yeah, that whole episode and that that little section right there where I had to work up to that. And she was so messed up at that point. And she stabs in the eyes and she stabs in the chest and she turns around and stabs Jack in the stomach. You know, that whole part and section of that episode. I did have to, I actually preferred, I had this picture of me sitting, kind of hiding underneath the desk that was the part of the furniture in that room. And while they were changing lights and everything, I just sat down there like with the blood on my hands. And I was, just, I didn't want to leave the actual space, you know, because sometimes you can go out of where you are. The energy is so different. And I usually wasn't like that, but for that particular episode, I was like, I'm just going to hang right here. If anybody <laughs> needs me, I'll be under this desk. Yeah, if anyone needs me, I will be prepared to stab a Russian guy in the eye for being an asshole. Love it. I, it was just so masterfully done. And, and yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I came across this quote. Um, first of all, I didn't know that you were cast a week before filming began. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so were, were you, did you just go into overdrive in terms of preparation? Well, there really wasn't time. I mean, they, they gave me, they took me for some gun training one day. And I 
I caught on very, very quickly. And so they were like, okay, cool. She's good. Like, you know, I, I didn't even have anything more than like a couple hours of that because they just saw that I, I was, you know, I was a dancer growing up and physically, right. you know, it's kind of like the fights and the, and the gun work is kind of like choreography to me, you know? And I, I just, I feel like I use my body in that way pretty well and pretty easily. And so they're like, okay, cool. We don't need any more of that. Okay. Now let's have a fitting. Okay, cool. She's good. Now let's, you know, time to shoot, <laughs> you know? Um, so there really wasn't any time to even get too nervous or, I mean, granted, I was sure I was definitely nervous, but I mean, you know, I didn't even have that much time to freak out. I'm kind of ha- happy. It, it wasn't like, okay, you're cast. Now you have two months before you start or something like that. Cause I probably would have gotten, too worked up <laughs> when did you feel like you got her when it was there were you on set or was it maybe when you were practicing the gun stuff i mean that's what a democratic i might have to say gun stuff i don't even know what you call it did she just click for you then i think it's maybe episode four episode five of that first season where she really started like i was kind of sneaking around on my own and jack had betrayed you know he like uh, tied me up with the telephone cord like choked me out and then tied me up and then i was I needed to make it right. You know, once she was on her thing where she, I was like, I need to make it right. Let me go after him. Cause I'll, you know, that whole thing. And then he like the getting buried alive. So the stuff where I was really like in his face a little bit, I feel like I really started to sort of fully feel like I was, I was in it at that point in the beginning, you know, with the pulling him out of the Senate hearing and stuff, I was definitely nervous and just trying to be like, Oh, I hope I'm doing it right. You know, but three or four episodes in, I think I, I think I finally had it. <laughs> so I have to say my dad was, is a first or now he's retired. But he was a first grade detective in New York city. And you know, we always had FBI agents at our house and I didn't even think twice. So I bought it and I've been, I've been around a lot of FBI guys growing up. So <laughs> I thought it was great. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. But it's so interesting to hear about that clicking for you a few episodes into it because you know, I, I always wonder that because it almost feels a little bit like, I mean, cause it's art, right? So you never really know when it comes well, the other thing in television is that you don't have, it's not like a film where you know your trajectory, you know what's coming. So a lot of it too is just having more information. So in episode one, I had, all I knew about her was those scenes. You know what I mean? So once you go three or four episodes in, then I have a, a handful of stuff, different meaty scenes. Oh, oh, this is how they want her to feel in this situation. Oh, okay. They're writing her like this. You know, you just, I'm learning along with the audience, obviously earlier, but I'm learning what her kind of what who she is you know because in television you really don't know what's coming that can be the tricky part because you can be playing something a certain way or if you decide and make up a bunch of a backstory just to help yourself and then four episodes down the road they have something totally written totally different for your backstory that that can mess you you know so i kind of just go with what's on the page and try to stay in the moment and and let the rest come but you know as you get into it the episodes and the writing really inform so much of what you know about the person you're playing, <laughs> which is very strange. <laughs> I, this was the quote I was going to say before I actually interrupted myself and said that she was cast for the part of Renee Walker a week before filming began saying that they spent a long time trying to figure this role out. They toyed with the coldness of her and went back and forward a lot. Yeah, definitely. What was that like for you? Well, in my different auditions, I mean, again, I was, pretty much just over about two weeks, I guess, a week and a half, you know, I went in a few times and, um, they also toyed with like the age of her. They were going to have her a little bit older and a little bit more just shut down and cold, you know? So I definitely had 
different versions of auditions that I did where I just made her more cut off and more cold. But then, you know, again, if the writers kind of know what's coming, they may know that they're going to want to see some warmth eventually. I feel like I, I feel like I'm, that's something that I feel like I can balance pretty well. Um, that probably worked in my favor. You know, I feel like I can be very, not even cold necessarily, but very like by the book and doing this, doing this and this, and then show just like a little tiny bit of warmth or vulnerability, a little bit of a crack in the character in the facade and then, and then make it go away again. You know, I feel like, I feel like it was finding the balance of those two things with Renee that, that probably worked in my favor of getting cast. And also John Kassar, obviously, because I had done a pilot with John Kassar, the director, producer, and I know he was really fighting for me. So <laughs> that helped too. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to ask. So you were saying that she kind of like breaks through her facade. So my question was, was the facade that she was the FBI agent, but in reality, when she broke through, she was sort of a, I don't want to use the word vigilante, but she was extremely passionate, so much so that she abandoned tactics that she thought were wrong when it started in favor of doing what needed to be done to get the result. And, you know, I thought that was a really interesting reveal. So I kind of wanted to ask you about what that was like for you as the artist playing the part. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I mean, I don't think she was hiding behind anything before she met. Jack. I mean, I think everything that she believed when she met Jack Bauer was truly what she believed. And I think she believed that that's how things are done and you go by the book and this is how we get results. And these are the way things are done. And it wasn't until really being out in the field with Jack and seeing the different scenarios where, again, you're racing the clock. So seeing the way Jack got information from people in a scenario where there's no other choice, like if you don't get this information, X, Y, Z happens, right? So if something happens to the president or something happens to, you know, whatever the high stakes were in that moment that we were trying to figure out, um, if you don't do this, then this won't happen. You know, she really, it really was Jack's example, I feel like, that, it changed her beliefs, but at the same time, she not only saw the toll then that it took on Jack, even though she'd read about, you know, she'd read about his past and she knew all that stuff, but really seeing it and like looking in his eyes when he's making decisions, riding around in the car with him, talking about it afterward, you know, all those little things slowly, you know, you're spending almost every minute of the day with him and she saw how it affected him. And then, unfortunately, sadly for her, it affected her in the same way. So, I don't know. If, if I had to go back, I'm, I'm wondering, like, would she have rather just stayed with her original beliefs where she always played by the rules? Or, you know, was it worth going to the the bad side or the dark side or the pushing things too far side for, I don't know. <laughs> Obviously, she probably would still have her life. <laughs> But were those moments with Jack when they were so in love? I mean, people were uh, saying, and I think uh, Kiefer Sutherland was saying that Renee was Jack's soulmate. I guess my question is, were those moments at the end that they had, I mean, they were really beautiful. Does that factor into her saying, well, you know what, things happened the way that they did? Well, I guess she's she's dead, so she can't say that. <laughs> but, you know. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Besides that part. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think they... By the time you get to that part, they had this beautiful relationship and this beautiful story, but yet also obviously tragic. You know, could those two characters have had a happy life together if what had happened to Renee hadn't happened? It's hard to exactly, you know, I mean, I would have loved to see them go off somewhere and they're 
fighting crime and being able to have their, their happy romance. But it's a hard line of work, I think, for both of them to be in at the same time and have that happen because the bad guys or whoever can always use the other person as a threat, you know what I mean? As a, you know, just, just Jack's whole thing where he, he couldn't really, he can't get close to people because then they'll put those people at risk. So what happens when it's both of them living like that, you know, then you're, then you're putting, she's putting Jack at risk and Jack, you know, he's putting Renee at risk. And I don't know, I like to believe that it could have happened, but it would, it wouldn't have been easy, <laughs> but I think it would have been true, you know, certainly would have been true. Yeah, I want to believe in love. I, I want to in my, in my head like there there was a there was a what if spinoff where like they ran off together and fought crime together and became superheroes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were super superheroes without being superheroes, That's which true. is even cooler. You know what I mean? They yeah. weren't. Um, Oh, I missed making me miss them. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I totally didn't even, I, I on my script, oh. I didn't even put Renee till the end. I just got so excited because that scene was so good today. I, know, I mean, I all know. of those scenes were so amazing. I was literally blown away. I'm not even, I am not blowing smoke. I mean, I was, just, I, I just couldn't get over the constant close ups. I mean, I was like, there is no room for error. And you literally made not one. It's so funny. I'm going to have to go back and check that out. <laughs> you, you, should, you should be like, oh my God, look at me, not completely in the moment and all this time. That's a, definitely a pat yourself on the backer, if I have to say so myself. Oh, thank you so much. So let's fast forward a couple years, or a few years actually. So then you get a call that you're going to be playing. Leslie Dean, do you, am I even allowed to say, do you know in the beginning that she is maybe perhaps not of this world? Did I know that? Yeah. Well, once I started in like just quickly Googling the comics or whatever, I was like, oh, so the Deans are aliens. Okay. You know, (laughs) (laughs) but then once I started talking to Josh and Stephanie and just learning a little bit more about their plans for the TV version of these comics, it was definitely shared that their intent was to make the TV show much more grounded in reality. Everyone's big crazy powers or whatever their thing was, was more based in something in reality now. Um, so, I mean, I've, in, obviously I think feel like of all of the parents, the deans are the furthest from what they were in the comics. Okay. So I might be wrong. They might not be from, they might not be otherworldly. Yeah. And so in the TV, at least as of right now in our show, Leslie is a, is a human. <gasps> I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, obviously the twist is that there's this Jonah character who is otherworldly and he is actually Carolina's father. So Leslie's daughter is half human, half whatever Jonah is. Oh. So that's where they kind of pulled, you know, so they're using little bits from the comics, but in, in a little bit different way. So that's how that one kind of plays out as far as what we know so far of season one. <laughs> but again, oh, like what's going to come down the road, you know? <laughs> I'm super excited about it. How does Leslie feel about Carolina? You know, in the beginning, I feel like when we first meet her, Carolina is her perfect little daughter. And she she really wants Carolina to be front and, and center in the face of the church. And she expects great things from her. She's obviously always been worried about if and when she may have some powers. You see that in the season finale or at the, actually at the end of episode nine, which, which was airing, which aired this week, um, where they said, you see Carolina glowing. And he says, did you know about this? And my character says, no, but it's what I was afraid of. But in the end, she loves her more than anything. And, you know, Carolina's 
safety is ends up being the thing and and how how close she can comes to losing her in the finale is is the big thing that makes her willing to turn against Jonah. So, I mean, when it all comes down to it, it's all for Carolina. You know, Carolina obviously may not feel that. <laughs> she may think her mother is way distracted and, and more invested in other things, but no, she's everything to her. Oh man. You know, this is happening again. This happened with Angel Parker in that I start off rooting for the kids and you now you're both making me root for the parents again. Oh yay! <laughs> because like they, uh, the thing is, is like I, get, I mean, guess because I'm getting older, it's so obvious how much they love their children, and although they're, I mean, they might be misguided. I'm assuming that they are, and, and, you know, because um, you know, what if your parents are evil and all that? That whole tagline. But if that's the case, they just simply are misguided, and they and they do love these kids just as much as you know, a, as any good mother or any good father. Is that the case? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, they've had to do horrible things, but as you as you go through the season, you start to understand why and that they were doing them because, I mean, especially in like Tina Minoro's case, she had to do those, she, she, she had immediate threats right in front of her of like Jonah holding her little kid all of a sudden being in her house and like not so, you know, like super just threatening and if we didn't do what they say, I mean, she, it was different for Leslie because she was in love with Jonah. Um, so she really truly believed that what they were doing was the right thing and for the good of humanity. But a lot of the other parents were doing it just out of fear and necessity in order to protect their families. And is that what you hope people walk away with from uh, your performance and, and, and the parents' performance in particular? Is that do you want them to really understand how difficult these choices have been for them and, and how much they really do care? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think what's going to be so interesting about this show, if we go a lot of seasons is that I think you're always going to be wavering back and forth in terms of who you are rooting for, who you think is the villain, who you think is the hero, who's on which side, you know, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of that back and forth kind of stuff. I think that's what makes great writing is when they can write characters that you can, hate in one scene or in one episode and then completely empathize with in a, in a future one um, and, and makes you care about them and also get angry with them. So, yeah, I mean, I hope by the end of the season they, that enough has been shown about the parents that the fans really are conflicted or rooting for them at different times. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say, it must be kind of fun when you get cast as a villain, right? Because it's like, oh, cool, I can stick my teeth into this and... Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And especially a villain, because then the challenge is in my, you know, on my plate to make her. Okay. So she's a villain. She's a bad guy, but how do I make her likable? How do I find her humanity? How do I make people root for her even when they shouldn't be right? That, that makes that, that's interesting to me. That gives me something to, to do some a challenge. So yeah, that's fun for sure. Where does her humanity lie for you? You know, she's done all these awful things and she's had to be the one to recruit these poor young kids, the, the her actual runaways that the church finds. And I think not a lot of shows and not a lot of characters that, that do the horrible stuff like that. I don't feel like you always see them conflicted about it or see them crying about it. or see. And I feel like she's, maybe the other parents don't see it or the other Pride members don't see it, but the audience certainly sees that, I feel like, with Leslie. So she's doing these awful things, but you're seeing that it's taking the toll on her for sure. Um, you know, a little bit like you saw things taking the toll on Renee. 
so I mean I think that's that's on the surface that's what that's where humanity is you see that it you that you can see that she cares that she's doing these awful things even though she keeps doing them and she has to do them and she believes that they are the right things to do but you also see that she gives a shit and that it's hard but and then you know just the fact that she's a mom I think a lot of her humanity comes just from being a mom and although there weren't that many Leslie Carolina scenes a lot of the Carolina scenes were actually with Frank but you know, hopefully in future episodes, we'll see if there can be an even, you know, I hope that someday there's, there's a deeper connection between Leslie and Carolina. Yeah. I was just going to ask, where do you hope as an actor to see the character go? What would be fun for you to explore while playing Leslie? I really have no, I mean, I'm so many actors that I know also like dabble in writing and they want to be directors and they want to produce, they want to do all sides of it. And I'm just like, I don't ever want to have to write any lines. <laughs> People just give me the line and let me say that. You know what I mean? Like I'm so terrible. I have no talent whatsoever for writing. So even you being like, where could she come? I don't know. I just want them to give me some awesome stuff to do. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it'll be, we did see her so fiercely connected to Jonah this year. So I think just having them on different sides next season will be interesting and enough. And then, you know, just getting to have scenes with, there's it's such a huge cast, so just getting to have scenes with other characters that maybe she didn't get to too much in season one, that would be super fun. But I, I honestly have no idea. I'm like, how do you keep writing a show like this? There's so many options. There's so many characters. There's so many different relationships and things that could happen, but I certainly don't have a clue what they might be. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool, though, because you're, you're a true actor in the sense that you're like, you know, you give me the script and, you know, I'll, I'll take it from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Keeper had this unbelievably amazing ability to take a scene that was already written so beautifully and be like, you know, sometimes he would tweak one line or like the, you know, the final like oomph line in a scene or whatever. And I'd be like, God, that is genius. Like it just, it would make things so much better with just changing like one or two little things. Or sometimes he would like write a whole like paragraph and I'd be like, okay, that's just, how are you doing that? I wow. don't know. But also at that point, he knew, he knew that character so well that, you know, he was, it was absolutely just in him. But I, like I said, I have, I can tell if something is a little bit off, you know, I, I can tell that something may need to be fixed, but I usually don't know what, how, what the fix is. Because I just don't. My mind just doesn't work like that. <laughs> it's pretty amazing when people can do that. Oh, yeah. You know, I wanted to ask, ask someone who works all the time, what's the toughest part of show business to you or the toughest part of the job? I mean, I think once you have a family, the toughest part is just that it's not something you can always count on. You know, I mean, I have been lucky enough to work all the time, but just you may work like a ton, a ton, a ton over three years. And then you never know, you may not work for three years. Like just having that thing where you just don't exactly know, like I said, especially once you have children that, you know, you want to build a life for and stuff that, that can be tough. I mean, I feel like since I've had them and stuff, everything's been going great. And I don't, I, you haven't, I haven't really had to worry about it, but yet that's always looming, you know, lurking out there in your mind. Like, who knows? Or once I'm like 55, will I, when I'm, once I'm like a 50 year old woman, will there be jobs for me? You know, what will those, you know, what will the business look like at that point? Will I have, you know, all that little, like the uncertainty of it, I feel like is just the overall hardest thing. But at the same time, 
it's also the part that's kind of the most exciting for me. You know what I mean? Because I don't want to have the same job every single day. That's why I do this, you know, because one year I'm running around as an FBI agent, one year I'm a cop, one year I'm a time traveler. You know what I mean? It's just so fun and so exciting and so spontaneous and every day is different. And, you know, so at the same time, it's also what I love about it because if you didn't have that, then you wouldn't have the other. Um, But yeah, just that's the hardest part, I think, is just that it's the uncertainty of of the future. What's the most fulfilling part of it for you? I mean, I think kind of like I was just saying, just the fact that I get to go to work each day and it's different every day um, is something that just really speaks to the way I tick as a person. You know, I definitely get restless as a person. I want to change things a lot. I want to go on, you know, if I go on a vacation somewhere that I love, 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 and I love this hotel and I've experienced that or whatever, a lot of people go back there year after year. And I'm like, yeah, but I already, I had that experience. Like now I want to go somewhere that I've never been again. You know, I'm just that, I just want to see more, do more, have more adventures. And so the most fulfilling part is just that it's a job. As a job, it's something that I get to do every day is is go on a new adventure, learn more about a a different thing I didn't know about, or um, it just really speaks to how I, how I sort of tick as a, as a person. And, And how important is that kind of intellectual curiosity for you as an actor? But yeah, incredibly important, obviously. I mean, just as a person, it's just kind of what it's what gets me excited. You know, if I wasn't excited about doing this job, I don't know that I would do it because there are so, so many hard parts and, you know, the auditioning and all that stuff is just a total pain. <laughs> but um, it's definitely worth it once you're you're working pretty consistently. And yeah, it's just the best. It's just so fun. I, I don't necessarily want my children to do it. <laughs> <laughs> But again, if they came, if they came to me later in life and were interested in theater and interested creatively, and you know, I'm not going to be driving them to commercial auditions. But if they came to me, you know, as they got older and and were interested, then that would be a different story. But you know, you you don't, you certainly don't wish for the the uncertainty and the the randomness of it in the bad way, you know, for your kids and stuff. But it's also the good part of it. Yeah, no, I'm sure that that must be really hard and and i think that puts it really in perspective for me when parents are like you know what when you're 18 go to theater school that's different but not right now you know yeah yeah i mean certainly different if they're making the decision and they want to try out for the school play or something as opposed to hey let's go get your headshots done and start (laughs) you know that's not what we want for them but again if they had a passion for it as they get older, that's a different story. That that did just send a, a chill down my spine because it brought back all these memories of like posing for all those headshots, which was so hard. Um, oh my <laughs> gosh! And by the way, did, did you know that you have a fan site? And I was contacted by them, and they they asked me if I could ask you a question on their behalf. Is that okay? Oh, <laughs> sure. Um, uh, yeah, you should check it out. So, and this is so they contacted me on Twitter. Uh, it's Annie W Fans, and apparently they have like a whole site. Because I, I had just interviewed Angel, and I was like, you know, I would really love to to talk with Annie Worshing. You know, I was a big fan of hers on 24. And then they text me or send me a Twitter message from a different account. And they're like, oh, guess what? I also run her fan site. And I was like, oh, okay, awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, that must be pretty cool that people have, like, fan sites about you. People have, like, anti-fan sites about me, like like uh, like the, um, the right-wingers and stuff. So it must be cool to have pro-fan sites. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember when... I was doing 24. I remember 
the first thing that kind of came up was this thing called Walker Count. And there had always been a, there has been like a Bauer Count where it was a website that kept mm-hmm. track of like how many kills Jack had. And all of a sudden there was a Walker Count. I was like, oh shit, y'all, I have arrived. <laughs> <laughs> that is making it. That is the definition of making it in America, having a Walker Count right? next to a Bauer exactly. Count. Oh my God. Hello. But um, no, I mean, obviously you want, it's super fun to have people invested and people that follow you from show to show is really great and really awesome. You don't want people to be too into it or too creepy or too any of that. You know, sometimes you have to kind of keep your distance a little bit so that people don't get the wrong idea or something, you know, but no, that's, that's, that's what you want. You want people to be invested in the characters that you play and, and want to see new ones that you play. Well, okay. So let me, let me ask one of these questions here. Okay, so I think the first one uh, you kind of answered, which was, as an actor, how important are these fan sites for you as a person? And, and, you li- and you said you like it. It's awesome that people can follow you around and all this stuff. And it was very, really cool to have a Walker count, which I'm going to bring back, actually. They should bring back the Walker count. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> I, I, I totally think so. And also, I hope one day we can have another conversation about how Renee would react to Leslie Dean. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I've actually thought of that before about, like, the three or four kind of I mean, like this character that I played on Castle and um, the timeless character that I play is kind of have like the different characters that have been kind of a badass and creepy or whatever. Like what happens if they all were in a room together? Like who comes <laughs> out of there alive? <laughs> who would come out of there alive? I don't know if Renee's going to win that every time, but I don't know. There's a lot of, I mean, that Dr. Neiman on Castle was super crazy person. The Emma character on Timeless, I'm just getting to read some scripts that are coming in where they're writing some super cool, kind of Renee Walkery <gasps> stuff for her. Like, I'm going to get to do some fight, some fights and stuff. I mean, she's sort of the bad version of Renee. She's not right. necessarily, from what we see so far, you know, I think, I think we'll eventually learn why she, again, what makes her tick and why she's on that side. But I literally just, I just got some new script pages where there was going to be this guy that does all this fighting and they just, took that character out completely and now it's Emma and I'm like oh my god I'm so excited oh that's so (laughs) awesome yeah no that Um, must be so fun yeah so she's kind of she's kind of crazy in the same kind of way so she would probably give Renee a run for her money but I still think Renee wins (laughs) <laughs> oh cool yeah i could oh my gosh now i'm getting i want to pitch a whole new show it's you playing like a renee walker character and her evil twin and it would just be awesome to watch you guys like try to kill each other for seven seasons i would be so down yes um i do think if renee was on runaways my, my theory is that renee if renee was on runaways at the end of the first episode she would have like she when the kids were watching the ritual she would have just like dove in and been like i got this kids and then like thrown in a grenade and like started torturing them so it's like what I imagined, and then like the whole show would have been over. She would be like, "Who do you work for?" She would have figured out a way to get through the staff of one. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing. She would have been undercover some way. Real quick, I had another thought because then I'm then I'm thinking, okay, well, how does what does Leslie Dean do to manipulate or take control of Renee Walker? Like, Ooh. how does she try to use yeah. her her gift of manipulation and calculation, and is she able to spin anything? and change anything in, in Renee Walker's world. That could be interesting. Okay, I'm sorry, continue. <laughs> okay, I feel like that would work if she was like at CTU and she's like, I don't know why Renee is torturing me. I'm just a really nice Scientologist person. Um, why is Renee torturing Exactly, can- she could work her way out of it. Right? And the next thing you know, <laughs> like Chloe's torturing you in the back room and it's like a hole to do. Right, yes. 
you know um but yeah i'm super excited about this other character do you want to t- tell me about the about emma a little bit on timeless Oh yeah. Um, I, did you see any of season one of that show at all? I have not, but I'm actually I'm totally gonna watch. Like no, I'm no joke gonna start watching it tonight. Oh, oh my god, awesome, awesome. Well, she doesn't. My character doesn't come around till the end of the season. Like I'm in. I started. I think I don't know. Maybe episode eleven or twelve. So there's a bunch of episodes before I get in there. But she's just again, she's sort of this mysterious woman that they find in the woods in the 1800s. But she's badass. She's been living on her own there for like ten years. She's got like rifles and she's made her clothes and she's just got like, again, a, a very interesting, mysterious woman that you don't know all that much about. And then you slowly learn more. And um, there's this, the, the big bad, almost like a corporation group in Timeless is called Rittenhouse. And there's a big, huge reveal at the end of season one, which, sorry, spoiling it for you. But there's a big, huge reveal at the end <laughs> of that season that Emma actually works for Rittenhouse. She steals the the time travel ship at the very end of the season. So Emma in season one didn't have, you know, I would have two or three little scenes here and I'd come in and I'd say a little thing. There was always some, she was always there and kind of lurking and again, mysterious. And then there was this big reveal at the end of that season. So now, you know, we're, I don't know, maybe a third of the way into season two. And it's really fun to just see how they're sort of fleshing her out and, she, I wasn't sure how they how they were going to write it. Whether I was going to be on the run and they were going to be chasing me, or if if, she, if I was the big bad guy of the scene, you know, I just wasn't exactly sure what how it was going to be written. And they really have her. I mean, I'm, she's very freely giving her opinion on not trusting Lucy. Lucy is the main Abigail Spencer, the main character, and she doesn't trust Lucy at all. She doesn't think they should be trying to have her on our side. And you know, there's just she very freely gives her opinions about things. And is not like scared or, you know, has no, no plans of backing down about certain things at all. So it's been fun. Yeah. She sounds like super fun and and super complicated too, which I always love. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's so cool. Okay. So here's the other question from your, your fan site here. Oh, this is a good question for even for me. Has there ever been a time when uh, you wished people would ask you a question during an interview that you've never been asked? (laughs) Please let me know so uh, I can ask it. No, you know what? A lot of, I know, right? Excuse me. Could you? No. <laughs> um, a lot of people at the end of an interview will just be like, okay, is there anything else that I just ask you that you want to talk about or any of that? And I'm always like, no, I think so. Like, again, I'm just not like, you know, whatever, whatever is, is what each person wants to talk about or ask is, well, I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't necessarily need to add to any of it. I mean, of course, as you're going along and doing a lot of interviews over the years and, the generic, like, what was it like to work with Kiefer Sutherland? You know, those uh, get a little bit, yeah. not old, but it's like trying to rewrite the, how do I say it in a way that I haven't already said it 10 times? You know, <laughs> that is certainly, but I mean, I, I, I don't at all think they shouldn't answer the, ask those questions because, you know, that is what people want to know. And usually the questions that are asked that are repeated are repeated because they're good questions. So, <laughs> But uh, no, I think I'm good. I just kind of go with what people ask me and move on. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. No, it goes back to that about you being a true actor thing and just ready to take on the script and do your part. Yeah. Don't make me write. Don't make me write your questions for you. Sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, although I have to say, I think we were on to some gold with the, the Renee um, character and her evil twin. I'm, I'm just saying. 
No, I think we have a couple of shows that we wrote today. I think we, I think we have some ideas. Right. So, I, 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 I'm going to call the network right after this is over and just let them know I'm going to walk in. Get on uh, the horn. Yeah. Get on the horn. I think yeah. I, I'm just going to play. I'm going to play all the roles in the whole show. <gasps> Love and it. And they're all going to battle. And at the end of every ep- and at the end of every episode, one of them dies. And by the end of the season, there's one left. Ooh, this is actually really cool. <laughs> See, wait, maybe I am a writer. <laughs> You heard it right here, everybody. <laughs> we turned Annie Wershing into a writer. Like, cut to like five years from now. Your Oscar acceptance speech for like best screenplay. I love it. Oh my god, that's so funny. Um, but for the record, I would really watch that. I think it'd be super fun. I know, right? <laughs> um, no, but only because like Renee kicking ass was awesome. Leslie Dean also kicking ass is awesome. Although you know she's uh, uh, you you can't yeah. be as for her as you are for Renee because um, you know of the whole sleeping with the alien guy thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I th- <laughs> and, and, and and the whole lying about her dad thing, right? Because she doesn't know that that's her dad yet, or does she? I, no, she doesn't know yet, right? Carolina doesn't know yet, right? I don't no. think so. I don't think so. It's hard for me to remember like what's aired and what we shot and what. I don't think she even knows at the end of the season. <sighs> we just spoiled. We, I actually, obviously, I think she. I think she obviously suspects after they battle it out in episode. Hi, baby. Um, <laughs> sorry, Aww. my kiddo just came in. Um, as they battle it out in the in the finale, and they have the same powers. I don't think she dumb enough to be like, wait a minute, this is a coincidence, you know? <laughs> That's pretty so. cool, though, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, seriously, though, thank you so much for being here for 100th episode, and it was so awesome to get a chance to talk to you and uh, to, you know, fanboy a little bit about Runaways and 24, and I have no doubt you guys will be in for season 2, 3, 4, 5, because it really is an amazing show. And, you know, people are describing it like, uh, the first description I read back when it first started was Breakfast Club meets Marvel and I loved that. Yeah, yeah, totally cool. I love that too. Thanks for having me and again, congrats on 100 and uh, I'll be back for 200. Um, I don't know how long that takes yeah. but we're back. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It'll it, No matter when that is, Runaways will still be going. So that's what we're excited about. Right, exactly. We'll be <laughs> season 42. <laughs> uh. <laughs> The thing is, like, is if uh, it'll be so long from now that everyone will actually look like the the flaky guy all the time, because it will be like two hundred years. Oh from now. no! Oh yeah. no! That will not work for like. And then <laughs> we would need to sacrifice so many people; it would be awful. But seriously, thank you so so much, and uh, thank you for letting me go over uh, my entire script completely out of order because you're so awesome. It just brought up all these questions for me. Oh no, it's so fun. Yeah, no, it was super fun. It's really fun. Please check out this podcast and more like it over at comicsverse.com. And thank you to everyone in our audience, whether you've been here from episode one or just started here with episode 100. We really couldn't do this without you. So thank you so much for listening to us from the bottom of our hearts. <laughs>